It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I honestly think we're lucky nobody else was killed. This week on KSL Plus. It was one sentence that changed my life. An innocent bystander hit and killed in a police chase. How I'm viewing it is like, instead of looking into her husband, what is the abyss of sorrow and pain, to turn that into action. Determined to bring about change. So I am asking people to contact their direct representative and senator and ask them, what are you doing about this? And the lessons we learn from police departments at home and around the country. They're not really effective, right? The notion, right, of policing is that when the police arrive or intervene, the situation should improve. Very rarely, in the case of a vehicle pursuit, does the situation improve. If you think about this, for a DUI, a Class B misdemeanor traffic offense, is it worth a member of the public losing the life of a family member? I'll tell you right now, it's certainly not willing, I'm not willing to sacrifice any member of my family to catch a Class B misdemeanor, and nor is it a deterrent people driving intoxicated. I'm Matt Rascone, and this is KSL Plus, and today we're diving into police pursuits, their impact, and what, if anything, needs to change. On October 18th, T. Vu Mims, a wife and mom of two boys and a leader in the small business community, was out for brunch with a friend in Rose Park. At the same time, a North Salt Lake police officer was pursuing a suspected drunk driver. The chase took them outside their city into Rose Park. The suspect who was being chased crashed into the car T was in, killing her and seriously injuring her friend. Yeah, we'll never be able to replace her, but I can just kind of keep keep pushing on and uh, hopefully making a difference to the people that I care about. So. It was, of course, a devastating blow to her sons and her husband, Trip Mims. But amid their grief over the next few weeks, Mims headed to Capitol Hill to meet with various legislators about the circumstances surrounding his wife's death and what could help prevent a crash like this from happening again. I took my 10-year-old with me to kind of show him, like, this is what it looks like when you ask for change. He's told me directly that he wants to be a part of it, so... um, Again, that's the way that he was honoring his mom. His team is a fighter. We spoke to the former chief of the Salt Lake Police Department. We'll hear more from him in a bit. For now, here's more of my conversation with Mims about his fight for change and his return to the oven to continue the bakery he and T built during the pandemic. And so I took my time off to take care of my family. And then now it's kind of time to to get back at it and and keep... um, Keep the idea that T started where Mims is 
a platform. We happen to sell bread, but um, building community and pushing the food industry forward um, in a thoughtful way is something you don't see a lot of restaurants doing. The, the old model of restaurants is outdated and needs to be changed, and T really wanted to be, she was um, the leader in the small business community for, for that idea. So you knew you'd eventually get this back up and running? Oh yeah, I mean, there's no going back. This is, I've, yeah, I've invested everything I have into it, and so bread is my life now. <laughs> so, there's no going back, and so I, I fully expect to turn it into, I mean, it's already a blossoming business, but um, yeah, it'll be my stamp that I leave behind is, is Mims, and hopefully I can you know, keep honoring uh, T through all of that, so. How did it go from watching this terrible thing happen to your wife and family to, okay, we gotta do something about these police pursuits? Yeah, it, um, it's shocking what we as a society um, allow because this was allowed to happen per policy. Um, I do believe that policies were actually broken, but um, the stats around fatalities and high-speed chases is staggering. And the amount of the amount of police officers that die in chases is also staggering. It's actually one of the most dangerous activities that they're involved in is the own chases that they engage. Um, and it leaves, uh, it leaves a lot of room for negative perception around police when we allow them to do things like this. Um, that's us as citizens and that's the people that we elect. Um, and so I think there's a major uh, vacuum where policies need to be changed. How a police officer is allowed and said, told yes, you can chase someone through a 30 mile an hour zone at 75 miles an hour onto incoming traffic, a street that looks just like my street. It could be anywhere. And, um, just because you don't engage in a chase doesn't mean you're not trying to apprehend someone. Um, and so I really do think that there are, there are policy changes around pursuits and there's also administrative changes that um, Salt Lake is missing and lagging behind the national standard. Um, and we have a low crime rate here, but for um, for fatalities in high-speed chases is actually above average, above the national average. So it tells you that this is a problem here. Um, and it rips apart families in the most violent way you can imagine. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's terrible and I'm absolutely determined to see the policy changes come into place, knowing that it could be years from now. Um, and so that's kind of my, my direct mission. And so if you live, if you live here, you should be contacting your senators and representatives and asking them about this case specifically and about what they're going to be doing about it, because, uh, it's more than just a community effort. It takes, um, 
movement on Capitol Hill, which is hard to get. Can you give us an idea what has life been like for you and your two sons the last several weeks? Um, it's scary thinking about, you know, your children losing the love of a mother. And um, it extends beyond the direct immediate family all the way to the citizens who responded first to the car crash. Their life has changed forever and that is something that they can never unsee. Um, all the way to, uh, you know, the first responders involved, the police officers involved. It's, yeah, there's, it's hard to imagine how many people one accident affects. And um, the only positive that I can see is knowing that T in the time she was here made a huge impact on the community that we're a part of. I mean, offering advice to anyone who asked about starting a business, wanting to bring, you know, young women up with her. But as far as what it does to a family, it's, uh, it's terrible. And it's senseless how it's allowed to happen. And so it's, uh, yeah, it really is hard to believe even, even now, so. Speaking with you so far, it, it doesn't sound as though there's maybe as much focus on the suspected drunk driver who is involved here. Well, there is a lot of focus on that. Um, he had a terrible record. Um, the system failed him. He should have been in jail years ago. Multiple DUIs, history fleeing the police. And he will see his day of what, you know, the prosecutor is going to call justice. In reality, we'll never get what we want, which is T back. But he will um, see the full extent of the law, um, which is appropriate. Personally, I don't condemn anyone to death, but he will very possibly spend the rest of his life in jail. Um, now, whether you want to call that justice or not, I'm not sure. In my head, justice would have been, you know, after a couple DUIs and running from the police, you should probably be in jail. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And so that's where the, the policy changes come into play because the first thing that gets dropped in a plea deal is felony fleeing. So it tells people it's okay to flee the police because you're not going to get charged with that. And so there's plenty of practice and policy changes that can make this avoidable. And it's not a blame game with the police either. I don't, I don't blame them for doing what we asked them to do and go right up to that bar of policy. But that policy is too high. It needs to be reined in. Otherwise, you know, this will just happen again and again every single year to another family. mentioned before you believe the policy may have been broken in this case policy probably was broken in this case um, I still don't know all the details I don't have the police report um, you know I am in in contact with North Salt Lake with with what details they're willing to tell me um, 
But if you want to know kind of how they're handling it, I was told I would get the video private viewing first. They released that video the day of T's funeral while I'm in the funeral service to the media before. And so it just shows that they had disregard for life during the chase and disregard for T's life through the whole process. Here's what the North Salt Lake Police Department says about when an officer can initiate a chase. First, the suspect exhibits the intention to avoid apprehension through evasive or unlawful tactics. The suspect operating the vehicle refuses to stop at the direction of the officer. The suspect's actions are such that failure to pursue would further enhance the danger presented to the public. The handbook also says officers must not forget that the immediate apprehension of a suspect is generally not more important than the safety of the public and pursuing officers. No officer or supervisor shall be criticized or disciplined for deciding not to engage in a vehicular pursuit because of the risk involved. The department says officers should stop a pursuit when the danger posed to the public, officers, or suspect is greater than the value of apprehending the suspect. So you've been to Capitol Hill, you've spoken with state legislators. What's that been like? Optimistic, but at the same time, I know that it's gonna take a long, a long time. Um, you know, their session is in January. I won't be a part of that conversation. The following year, I plan on um, really pushing for these policy changes because I just, it can't be allowed to happen. And complacency, I've learned, is like a terrible thing to be complacent in life because that's, that's how this happens, right? And so it just amazes me that you can have a job where you get to decide what you do second by second without regard for public safety. And there's plenty of other states who have taken uh, the lead to um, you know, change these policies. For instance, Salt Lake City has the, a practice of not chasing people at a high speed. Their policy allows it, but it's rare that they'll engage in a residential neighborhood a high-speed police chase because they know the amount of danger it puts their own officers at and the, and the public. Um, and so I can guarantee you uh, there's police departments looking at this, reconsidering their own policies. Um, and like, again, it's not, it's not against the police because we've asked them to do too much. So it sounds like like it is with your bakery, you're in this for the long haul. Yeah, I mean, I, I, going into it, I'm just like, oh, everyone's gonna be so behind me. How could anyone be against it? And it's not really people being against it, but it's just like, I think a lot of, you know, civilians don't understand how laws are made and it takes a long time and a lot of effort and money, unfortunately, gets mixed in there. Um, and so I, I foresee going between the bakery and policy changes during different seasons when, when each is required. And so, um, but there's no way that I can, I can stop now, you know, there's no way. Yeah. 
Mims story highlights what some consider a deeper problem with police pursuits. The number of times that someone ran from the police when we were trying to stop them when I was the police chief can probably be counted on two hands in nine years as the police chief. That's almost insignificant. Here's Chris Burbank, the former Salt Lake City police chief and current vice president at the Center for Policing Equity. I can't tell you how many police officers have been killed, but what I can tell you is across the nation, uh, but <laughs> what again is a little hard to swallow here, right? Most places across the nation have done away with vehicle pursuits. So the number of people killed has dropped dramatically. So the agencies that are still doing that, and you're still seeing deaths to members of the public who are uninvolved in the situation, is just, that is negligent on the part of the police department, on the part of the officers involved, the administrators, and the council or mayor that condones those actions. From a scientific perspective, the number of times that a vehicle chase ends in something significant happening to either the police, the driver of the vehicle trying to flee, or a member of the public is significant. Not only that, one of the most increased times for inappropriate use of force is following a vehicle pursuit by police officers. And that's been demonstrated in cities, in different cities throughout the country. And the idea that it is a deterrent or that people will then all of a sudden, right, if you're not chasing, will run away is unrealistic, right? This goes back to early mid nineties. Most police agencies, most large police agencies in the nation started to restrict the number of vehicle chases that their officers could be in because the danger, the risk far outweighs the reward. And constantly in policing, constantly in life, we should be evaluating, right? Is the outcome worth the risk? And again, as I said earlier, when the situation deteriorates, when the police officer becomes involved, we ought to ask ourselves, should the police be involved? This is a very realistic question that the public needs to answer, not the police. And I will tell you, this sounds harsh, but not an irresponsible police leader who's going to allow his people to pursue class B misdemeanors. For some nationwide perspective here, in the last 40 years, more than 5,000 bystanders have died in police pursuits, according to USA Today. In 1990, the Justice Department urged police departments to adopt strict guidelines on when officers can pursue someone. It called pursuits the most dangerous of all ordinary police activities and said far more chases happen every year than shootings. So when we talk about the efficacy, right, the times that policing is right and catches the bad guy in the middle of the act and those types of things is a very small percentage. And how much collateral damage or mistakes or incarceration of individuals for lesser crimes and mistakes, everything else that goes into that, are we willing to tolerate to get the one person, right? So when you start to imagine the efficacy, the majority, especially of what you see you know, now are traffic violations. They are not resulting in the capture 
of the person who is wanted in Texas or you know, has done something horrible and is driving through Salt Lake City. These are traffic violations that result in tragedies. I cannot overemphasize this is a traffic violation. The other thing that I think is important is when we look at disparity in justice, right? Racial disparity in justice. One of the most significant areas in which we see tremendous disparity in the racial makeup of the outcome is when it comes to the prosecution of DUIs. White America, middle-class America, does not even lose their license for driving drunk. But yet we see time and time again that black and brown members, especially males, are routinely having their license taken away, their ability to drive, their ability to go to work, and everything that follows up on that. So we have to again ask ourselves, is justice fair and equal for all? And when the answer to that is no, well, we as the public need to start saying, yeah, then we're not going to do things that way anymore. And while the state lays out some guidelines around what can happen during a chase, state code says each public agency that owns or operates an authorized emergency vehicle shall have a written policy that describes the manner and circumstances in which an operator shall engage, conduct, and terminate vehicle pursuit. So the alternative is one, just not to pursue, right? So you're going to capture the license plate. You're going to potentially capture what the driver looks like. And you're just going to back off. In this modern day and age, with the use of helicopters, with the use of drones, with the use of uh, technology that can uh, you know, easily identify, every officer now can pull up in their car the registration to any vehicle and find out where that person lives, where they might be going to. And you send somebody there and they can be waiting. There's lots of alternatives. But the important thing as we have this discussion, right? <laughs> back in the early 90s, right, there was the big question of, well, man, everyone's going to run. Well, that has been demonstrated for the last 30 years that that is not factual. Legislators who have been talking with Mims told me his wife's story is tragic and concerning. Senator Derek Kitchen told me he believes there is room for dialogue here and room for updates to policy. But they and the Mims family are also waiting for the outcome of the investigation into this particular police pursuit. The Salt Lake Police Department is investigating the crash. That investigation is ongoing, and they have not said whether the officer acted within existing policy at the North Salt Lake Police Department. That does it for us this week here on KSL Plus. I'm Matt Rascone, and we'll see you again next week.